Uh, if you have a Bible with you, uh, if you want to turn to the book of Luke, uh, chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible with you, don't worry. You can either find, Google the verse, I'm sure you'll find it, or the words will appear as if by magic on the screen beside me in a moment or two. Uh, we're going to be starting a new series today. If you've been tracking with us over the summer, we've been talking about the armor of God from uh, the book of Ephesians. Um, and we're going to change tack a little bit. And over the next uh, sort of month, next month and a half, what we're going to do is going to spend a little bit of time talking about some things that are important to us as a church. I guess you could call them some values or some of our vision, what we believe as a church and why we believe them, what we feel God's called us to do in this city and why we believe that. Uh, and partly we're doing that because we're going to introduce a more sort of formal uh, membership structure to who we are as a church. Um, and also we want to help you to, help you, all of, all of you, to come with us on mission to know a little bit about who we are and for you to be able to say, yeah, I want to be, be part of that. That sounds good. So we're going to start today and we're going to talk about this little series we're going to call Liberty for the City. And we're going to start this morning, we're going to talk about the issue of, of prayer. Um, also, before I forget, over the next uh, month and a half, there's also going to be a few changes in what we do in church life. Um, obviously, since this corona lockdown, churches look very different. Um, if you are, had been with us back in March last year, we had just launched our third Sunday service. We had two morning services, one in the evening, and we got to do that for one Sunday. We had 270 people in church. It was all super exciting. And then the next week, no one came to church because we went into lockdown. And uh, we started gathering with some people in the room like this since uh, about, I think, April or May this year. Uh, and as the government have been lifting restrictions, uh, we've been able to have more people back in the room. And our plan is that from the 3rd of October, so in just over a month's time, we're going to launch a, a second morning service. Um, so probably we'll have a, a 9.30 service and an 11 o'clock so we can accommodate more people in who want to gather to worship Jesus with us. The Sunday before that, uh, as you can see on the screen there, we, we're able, not actually able to meet here. We'll be in the Postonkirk, which is another venue across uh, the other side of the city center. We'll be meeting there in the afternoon, uh, probably around half past two on that date. We're also going to change a little bit how we're doing the uh, live stream we're putting onto YouTube to enable us to move to two services. A lot of this equipment around us, we're going to have to move and re-engineer. So the plan is we'll keep putting a video up onto YouTube each week, but it won't be a live service. It will be something that we will pre-record for you all. So hopefully that will make sense. Okay, let me read this uh, from Luke chapter 18, uh, verses 1 to 8. It says this. And he told them a parable. This is obviously talking about Jesus. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And Jesus said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. 
And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, he'll find faith on earth. Let's pray. Jesus, we just pray as we look at these passages together this morning and there's lots of things change in the life of the church over the coming weeks. Father, we, we don't want to do any of that without coming and seeking you. Jesus, we want to follow your leading. We want to follow your, where you're going. We don't want to just come up with good ideas or good, good plans. We don't want to just, I don't want to just kind of um, mumble words from this book this morning. I want you to come and breathe life into it. I want you to speak to us, God. I pray, Holy Spirit, that would happen today, that you would awaken our hearts to your plans and purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Joe and I, Joe's my wife, by the way, we've got four daughters, and we moved here to Amsterdam just over seven years ago. And we moved here to start this church, to start Liberty Church. Um, and we arrived, and we had two families from the UK that moved with us, and we gathered with two Dutch families that we connected with here. And uh, we began to meet in our apartment in Vatagrasmeer, which is where we lived at the time, and to gather together and to worship God and to share food together. And we had a great time. It was a wonderful little adventure. And one of the things I did when we arrived in the city is I wanted to meet lots of other church leaders and people, people who knew about the city, who could help us in our journey. And as I went around meeting people, one consistent message sort of came through from them. One guy said to me that uh, church planting as in starting new churches, it doesn't work in Amsterdam anymore. Another guy said to me that Amsterdam was the graveyard of church plants. It's where church plants come to die. Which when you've moved your whole family to a new country was a little bit discouraging, I'll be honest. Didn't fill me with joy and excitement and anticipation. Now, I'm not telling you that to, say, to brag, to sort of show off and to say, hey, look, look, we're in this amazing building. Yabu, sucks to you. I'm telling you that because the rea reality is they weren't trying to be harsh or mean or to discourage me. They were right. Is that actually what we were trying to do, at least without God, is, is impossible. You know, if you have any understanding of marketing of advertising you don't go and try and sell something to people that don't want it <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't work i remember meeting with a, with a mum from the kids school when we'd first moved and she was asking us why we've moved and we said oh we've come here to start a church and she didn't believe me i had to tell her two or three times before she'd believe me that that's actually why we were here and her point was well church Churches don't start, churches close, <laughs> which is true. Not just in this city, not just in this country, but all across Western Europe over the last 50 years, thousands and thousands and thousands of churches have closed. This church building we're meeting in now, the congregation that used to meet here, met here for about 150 years, and then in 1978, I think it was, they stopped. 
And for a very long time, there were no Christians meeting here at all. And that's true for many, many church buildings across the city. Many, many communities of believers shriveled and died because that's what happens in a a city that's secular, a city that's without God, a city that doesn't believe in God anymore, is that people don't go to church. So to come and start a new church is an act of lunacy, of stupidity. And even to be a Christian in a city like this, whereas 100 years ago, maybe even 50 or 60 years ago, it would have been quite normal. You know, the majority of people would have been believers in Jesus. At the end of the Second World War, 80% of the Dutch population were members of a local church. And they were not just going every now and again, they were committed to a local church. Whereas now in our city, maybe only one or 2% of people would come to church. It's not normal anymore. And maybe sort of 20, 15, maybe even 10 years ago, it wasn't normal to be a Christian, but you know, it was probably just a bit weird to be a Christian. Just a bit odd, a bit peculiar. Whereas now, increasingly, to be a Christian is, is to be dangerous. We don't believe what the world around us believes. People are concerned about what we believe. It's not that we just believe something that's a bit dusty and irrelevant. They think, well, what you believe, Christianity, is dangerous. It's, it's wrong. It doesn't fit with what we believe. To even call yourself a Christian, you know, in your workplace or in your neighborhood feels... Risky, you know, can I, really, can I really say that? Can I really say, oh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, you know, is that, can I be bold enough to make that claim about myself? And often we don't feel bold enough to do that. It feels like we're putting some kind of evil label on ourselves. Which, the reality is, that's really no different from the people in the first century when Jesus is telling this story to the people that he's gathered around him, his disciples, his followers, they would have felt very much the same. Actually, to be a Christian, the first time that phrase was used um, in the, the book of Acts, it's recorded, the first time they, uh, the believers were begun to call Christians, it was actually an insult. It was people around them, called, it means like little Christ. It was saying, oh, you're just one of those little Jesuses. You know, that, that guy that we crucified, you were just kind of little annoying versions of him. It was an insult. So it's always been something slightly odd to call ourselves. And the context that Jesus writes this or tells this story in about this widow who goes to a, a judge, he's, the widow in this story is, is basically like the church, the people of God. He's saying to his disciples, that you're going to often find yourselves under hostility, under persecution. You'll be the minority. You'll find yourselves under trial, perhaps. You won't have much going for you. That would have been true of a widow in the first century. You know, without your husband there, in those times you would have had no money, no authority, no influence, no protection, not really. You would have been a minority. You would have been vulnerable. And the church, Jesus is saying to his believers, to his followers, that's, that's a bit like what you are. By yourselves. Vulnerable. In danger. And Jesus is telling this story just, just a few weeks before he's going to go to the cross. 
which for his disciples would have felt like, a, like the end, just this calamity where everything that they've been trying to build just sort of falls apart. Just within a few days, everything just seems to crumble away. And then it becomes really real. They begin to start planting churches after Jesus' resurrection and they face persecution. They're chased out of Jerusalem. They're born, they're, these first Christians live in a world where they're persecuted in many much worse ways than we ever are. But Jesus, his remedy, his solution to them when they were a persecuted minority, his solution for us as a church in a city like this where you might feel sometimes under attack, where you might feel weird, dangerous for what you believe, where you might want to hide away and be concerned. His remedy, his solution is to pray. It's very simple. He says in verse one that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And that's it. That's, that's our number one strategy. If you want to know what, what is Liberty Church, what are you going to do? Like, what's it going to look like? How are you going to reach people in our city? How are you going to share the good news of Jesus? How are you going to live faithfully, holding out for what you believe? How, what's that all going to look like? Well, our number one strategy is to pray, because it's the Bible's number one strategy. It's not about having fancy website or having a sort of hip pastor like me <laughs> you're allowed to laugh for that okay that was a joke I mean don't laugh too hard but <laughs> our number one strategy is to pray because that's there in the bible again and again Ro Romans 12 be constant in prayer 1 Thessalonians pray without ceasing Colossians 4, continue steadfastly in prayer. In the armor of God in Ephesians 6, which Gavin was talking about a few weeks ago, praying at all times. The Bible encourages us again and again to, to pray, to seek him in, in persistent prayer again and again. In Mark chapter 9, something else happens in, in Jesus' story where a man brings his, his son to Jesus' disciples. His son has an unclean spirit in him, a demon. And he asks Jesus' disciples to pray to release his son. And they, they, were, they, they pray, they try and cast it out. And it says in Mark 9 that they weren't able to do it. And then the father brings the son to Jesus. And Jesus casts this demon out, releases his son. And then Jesus says to his disciples, or in fact his disciples say to Jesus, why could we not cast it out? Why could we not do it? And Jesus says to them, he says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Which I imagine his disciples were probably saying, well, what do you think we tried, Jesus? Like, we didn't beat him with a kettle. Like, we, of course we prayed. Of course we prayed. Other versions of that text say that Jesus says this kind can only be driven out by prayer and fasting. What Jesus is getting at is that so often what we need is, is a persistent prayer. Is 
perseverance in prayer, just like this widow comes to this judge again and again and again to keep knocking on the door, to keep asking, to keep seeking. Because what this, in this story here, this parable, what the, it, it gives us this picture of this corrupt judge. He says, I don't fear God, I don't respect man. What he's probably looking for, this judge, is a bribe. That, that's, how he, how, how, that's how this judge solves problems. He, he, he's not looking for what's right and wrong. He's who, whoever's going to give me the most money is going to win the case. But she doesn't have a bribe. She doesn't have any status. She doesn't have any influence. She doesn't have any credit. She's got nothing to offer. All she can do is ask. So she does that. She just keeps on asking again and again and again. She only has her asking and that's how we come to God. See, when you come and pray, it exposes your dependency on him. It disposes our, our, our lack, but his power, his might. All we have is our asking. We need to keep coming to Jesus continually again and again and again. And you might think, oh, I know this. You know, you know, these verses are familiar to me. I, I know that we should pray. We should keep on praying. We should pray without ceasing. I know these verses. But my challenge to you, to us as Liberty Church, my challenge to myself is, I remember hearing someone say once that if you know it, but you don't do it yet, you don't know it yet. If you know it, but you don't do it yet. You don't know it yet. <laughs> so often that's, that's so true of me. I think I, think I, I know these verses. I've, I've read them so many times. Do I, really, do I really know it? Have I really sought God? See, the wonderful thing about prayer is what this story tells us is not just that we should be persistent in prayer, but that prayer works that God moves, that God acts, that God speaks. See, because there are some parables in, that Jesus tells which have a sort of a, a lesser, greater theme to them going on. A good example like this one is in Luke, Luke chapter 11, where Jesus says to them, I tell you what, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And he goes on and he goes on. He says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? I don't think any of my kids have ever asked me for a fish, but I've never given them a serpent or a scorpion, so I'm doing well on this. If you then are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more? And the same is true of this parable here. If this unrighteous, unjust judge, if he will answer the, this widow's plea, how much more will your Father in heaven answer your pleas, your requests, your asking, your seeking? How much more will he move for you than an unrighteous, unjust judge? God is he's eager to work on your behalf. He's eager to answer your prayer. 
when we pray in line with his promises, when we pray in line with his kingdom, with his plans. He's ready, he's willing, he's able. Uh, prayer works sometimes suddenly God breaks through. Often prayer works incrementally, little by little. And that's the story for us as a church. And that's how we're going to keep on seeing the kingdom of God advance in this city is just by praying, by seeking God again and again. We don't have any better ideas because there aren't any. When we'd first started meeting as a, as a church in our home, we discovered that what those people had said to me that church planning didn't really work, we did discover that that was true. That we had about 12 of us and for a really long time it was just 12 of us and we met in our apartment every week. And we had a great time. We had some great food. We had a fun time together. But no one else really wanted to come to our church. It was, it was our little club. No one else was really interested in coming. So then we decided to move out of our apartment to find a venue. We met in a building across the other side of the city centre called the Mirror Centre, which is exactly like the name suggests. It's a centre with lots of mirrors inside. There's a, which was great because if, if you have a church with barely any people, all we needed to do was open the curtains and there were mirrors everywhere. It looked like there were loads of us. Um, and this church, it had a, it had a little, it had a Buddha on wheels. That, that, was, that was the first thing we had to do. Our setup team had to remove, remove the false idol before we could be in our services. But we, we, so we started in this, this is in October 2015, we started meeting in this, this building. We opened up the doors, anyone could come. But no one still wanted to come to our church. It was just still us, just this little club. It was kind of, hey, come and join us in all the mirrors. We're really cool. <laughs> little Buddha on wheels, hey. No one wanted to come, no one wanted to come. And about that time, we, we, when we'd moved, we'd, we'd sold our car. We wanted to you know, adapt, adapt to Dutch society. So we brought ourselves a backfeet. You know, the backfeet's the big cargo bike things. And that's how we did, did life. We didn't have a car. Chuck all the kids in, in, in the bucket, take them to school, do the food shopping, all of that. And um, it, because those things cost a lot of money. We had to sell our car to buy a bike. People don't normally do that. Well, at least not where I come from. Uh, makes it sound like I come from Mars. I don't know, just England. I know it's a weird place. Anyway, we sold our bike, uh, sold our car to buy this bike. Uh, and then someone stole our bike. It was locked up outside our apartment. They cut through the chain. We didn't have any insurance, which I learned quickly was an error, because people kept saying to me, so it was insured, right? No, it wasn't insured. We didn't have any money. And all we could do was pray, because we didn't have any other plans. And they weren't, they weren't particularly holy prayers. I was, I was praying lightning bolts to hit criminals. Those, those are the sort of prayers I was praying. And we prayed and we prayed for, for well, it was months in the end, six months prayed and at the same time no one was coming to our church and this sort of this prayer for our bike it, it sort of became symbolic in many ways for all the things that I was praying for that we as a church were praying for all the things we felt God had called us to do that weren't happening and we started the, the next year 2016 and uh, we were meeting on a Sunday in the mirror center with all the mirrors. We were meeting in our apartment midweek. And we decided as a council that we said, look, rather than meet and do a Bible study or whatever, we're just going to meet 
every Wednesday and we're just going to pray. And we'll just do that until something happens. You know, we haven't got any better ideas. This is where we really, what I'm saying, this is where we, we learned it in the, in the kind of the hard graft of trying to start something when we felt, oh, God's given us this big vision, this big plan, but no one wants to come to our church. So we just prayed. We just kept on praying. Pray for people to come to our church. I prayed lightning bolts on all sorts of thieves and criminals, which I don't know, maybe that happened. I don't know. Don't tend to hear those stories on the news. And then one day we got a phone call from the police, amazingly, and they said, oh, we found your bike. And it was great. You know, like in those TV detective shows where the, you, know, you have to go to the police station and you go into, it, they, they take the person into the morgue because they've got to identify the, the dead body and they kind of pull back the sheet and you go, yeah, that's my son. Well, it was a bit like that, but with a bike, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> they took me into this room and they pulled back the sheet and I was like, yeah, that's my bike. <laughs> honestly, and I rode it home and the tires were flat and I was like, high-fiving kids. And I was going, it was crazy. Uh, and it's just a bike, you know, it sounds silly really. But in that moment, God just did something. <laughs> that these kind of little by little incremental prayers, God just moved. And um, I'm getting emotional because it was a big deal for us. You know, I'm sure you've got things in your heart that you've prayed for and you sought for it again and again, which if you might tell someone else, they might say, oh, that's, that's a silly thing. But for you, it's real. <laughs> you keep coming to God. But <laughs> the wonderful good news is we don't come to an unjust judge. We come to a father who wants to work, he wants to move. And he's a God that he can work in this suddenly. Often prayer is, a, is an incremental, a little by little, but God can suddenly move. And that's, that's our heart for this city as well, that we look around us and there's so much of this city that could cause us to be emotional as well. So much about this city that we love, but so much that we lament that causes us pain. But God can move in our city. I was reading a book over my holiday when we were away by a Dutch writer called Gert Mack called uh, In Europa. And it's a book where he, it's a bit like a, a, a travel log. He travels around Europe and he tells the story of the last hundred years of Europe. And when he's talking about the 1960s, he, he tells the story from, from, from Amsterdam from here. And he talks about how things changed so quickly in the 1960s during this sort of sexual revolution, all those things, how society changed so rapidly. And he used a few examples. He said in, in 1965, half of the people, of, half of the population of the Netherlands thought that a woman should stay a virgin until her wedding day. And in 1975 years later, that was just one sixth of people. So it went from a half of people to a sixth in five years. Also in 1965, half of all Dutch people or more than half thought that children should, call their, should not call their parents by their first name. Half of all Dutch people thought children should not call their parents by their first name. And that 80% of people thought that mothers shouldn't work outside the home. 
That was, in 1965, that was the prevailing opinion. Whereas in 1970, five years later, for both those things, the percentage of people that believe that had, had halved. As I said earlier, in the end of the Second World War, 80% of Dutch people were, were part of a church, and now it's only 1% or 2%. I'm telling you those stories to say that things can change rapidly, and God can do it even more rapidly, even more dramatically, even more powerfully. I pray and believe God for a mighty work of, of him in this city, a work of the Holy Spirit that changes this city, where people find true liberty in Jesus. That's why we're here. That's why we're called Liberty Church, is because that's what we really believe. People come to our city to find freedom, to find liberty, freedom of expression, freedom of opinion, freedom of choice. And yet so often they find that there's no real lasting freedom in any of those things. Any freedom they might find will be a temporary thing. And only true, real, lasting freedom is found only in Jesus Christ. Okay, I'm running out of time. A few other things to say. First of all, we've got to realize that prayer is, it really is powerful. See, the emphasis on this story that Jesus tells is, it's not about will God answer. The question is, will we pray? Will we pray? And you might say that sometimes, you know, you want to believe all of this, but God feels distant. God feels unwilling to answer. And it's just not true. It just isn't true. I know that's often how prayer will feel, but it's just not true. God is, he's ready, he's willing to answer. But then you might ask, well then why do we have to be persistent? If God's so willing to answer, why do we have to keep on, why do we have to nag God? What's that about? Well, I could say many things about that, but in the time allows, the best thing to say is that it's what you need. You don't need a slot machine God. You don't need a God that you just put in your request and out comes a box of Smarties. You know, it's not the sort of God you need. See, because what happens when we pray is God, in the praying, God changes you. He'll, he'll humble you because <laughs> you'll realize your just utter dependence, your need for God, your inability to do anything by yourself. Prayer will humble you. Prayer will strengthen you. As been looking at in this series through the armor of God. What we need so much to be believers in our cities, we need, we need strength. And as you pray, God will, will armor you up. He'll put it on, he'll strengthen you. Prayer will help you to conquer fear. I don't know how many times I've been in situations where I thought, I just, I just, I don't want to do this. I can't do this. And when we pray, God gives us courage. Prayer brings joy, <laughs> most wonderfully. So often when we pray, when we come with all our burdens and worries and concerns, God just loosens their grip on us and replaces them with just a deep joy in him. And prayer works, it really does. When you pray with other believers, it's really powerful. And again, it often doesn't feel very powerful. 
But it's why we gather and we have prayer meetings together as a, as a church. And sometimes they don't feel that dramatic. But the reality is prayer is, in that kind of context, prayer, it's, it's like governmental. Because we join with the sovereign God ruling over all of creation, who is in control of all things. And when we pray, he moves, he acts, he works. As a church, the most important thing we do is pray. That's the most important meeting that we do is when we pray together and ask him to move in our city, and he will, and he does, again and again. We could tell you hundreds, dozens of stories of where specific things we've prayed for and we've seen God move. And that will be our ongoing story as a church. But wonderfully, we, in all of this, we always come to a merciful father. See, the, this widow in this story pleads to this evil, unrighteous, unjust judge. We come to the father of all mercies. You know, how much more? How much more when we come to God? Will he work? Will he move? See, this widow has it's got no bribe to offer, no status, no influence, no power in this relationship. And yet when we come to God, we find favor. We find we're welcomed in to his heavenly throne room to pray with him. And Jesus takes, sometimes you might worry about even how you pray. You might, am I saying the right words? Have I got the right formula? It can often feel like that, particularly if you're a new Christian. But yet Jesus takes our prayers, good and bad. And what he does is he kind of, kind of sanctifies them. He takes them and he presents them to the Father. He, take, he pulls all the good out of it and brings it to God. <laughs> even our worst prayers. Even me praying that people will be struck down by lightning bolts. Seriously. God takes all of those. He hears our hearts, the good and the bad. He brings them to the Father on our behalf. See, prayer can often feel like a, like a sort of drab duty, you know, something we have to do, tiresome and feel like a labor. I guarantee you this week, when it comes to about an hour before any of these prayer meetings that we're doing, that you'll find tons of excuses. You'll feel tired, you'll feel weary. Because prayer is a, spirit, it's a battle, it's a spiritual battle. There's an enemy that doesn't want you to pray. And he'll tell you, the, the big lie he'll tell you is that it's just a boring duty. It's something you have to do. You have to go and pray. And then you'll say, but no, I'm, you know, I believe in the grace of God. I don't need to pray. And he'll say, well, then don't go then. <laughs> That's, that'll be his strategy this week. But you see, when you come to pray, it's, it's not a duty, it's a delight. It really is. When you pray, you get to the best way to start any prayer time is just to celebrate the grace of God. Just to enjoy his love for you. Enjoy his wonderful work for you. And if that's all you do when you pray, that's enough. That's all you need to do. More and more I'm learning over the, over the years that my best prayer times are really when I just worship God, when I just enjoy him. If I don't get to the list of things, that's fine. It really is. You can just come and enjoy God. That's prayer. That's at the very heart of it. And when you celebrate his grace, his love for you, you'll find as you do that, you receive more. <laughs> you receive more of his mercies. You receive more of his joy. 
as you come and delight yourself in him. I'm gonna pray now and then Joe's gonna come and lead us a bit more. Why don't you just stand to your feet if you're here with us in the room. Jesus, we just wanna thank you that, we wanna thank you that you're alive. Now you're not a dead God, that Jesus, you're alive today. And not only are you alive today, but you've sent your Holy Spirit to make his home, his temple within us, the people of God, that we can say this morning that you are here in power. And you are here this morning to hear our prayers, to take all our prayers and to present them to the Father. You're here this morning because you want to move in our city. And we just want to pray right now that you would, all the things that are burdening us, the things that are on our hearts, the good and the bad, we just pray that you would just draw them out right now. The Holy Spirit, we pray you just help us to bring our cries and our pleas and our worries, our anxieties, our hopes, our longings. We don't want to just carry them around in our own hearts because if we do that, we just try and find our own way to make those things happen. We want to bring them to you and let you work. Just like that widow. <laughs> we just want to come to you and say, God, well, I've, got, I've got no bribe to offer. I've got nothing to offer you. I just, I'm going to ask and receive your mercy, your grace, and know that you're a just, loving, merciful Father who's eager to work, to build your church in this city, to change and transform us, to become more like you. We just submit our lives, our hearts to you this morning. In Jesus' name.